Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. On August 21st, 2017, I woke up in a tent in the middle of a field in Rigby, Idaho. I had paid some farm owners 50 bucks to camp on their empty land so that I could watch the total solar eclipse at 11.33 that morning. It was the fourth day of a solar road trip that began on my 29th birthday. I had kicked off the celebration by driving 12 hours from Los Angeles to Zion National Park and crying myself to sleep. From there, I headed north to Salt Lake City, then made my way to Rigby, just north of Idaho Falls. At this point, in the summer of 2017, I was halfway through what I still consider to be the most challenging year of my life. I had left my marriage, stopped speaking to my mother, and was physically ill to the point of forced social isolation. I was a mess trudging through the darkness of the tunnel, still far from seeing any light appear at the end. Solar road trips had become one of my favorite ways of coping with the constant, raging flow of newfound self-awareness that seemed to be crashing into me in an ongoing series of psychological tidal waves. After decades of anxiously and neurotically controlling my day-to-day existence, relying on perfectionism and grandiosity to distract and define myself, I had finally let go of the reins. I no longer knew who I was or where I was going. Being able to pick any destination on a map, get in the car, and drive felt empowering and reassuring. I woke up before sunrise on the morning of the 21st to see that a friend had texted me a link to an interview with Alice Waters. I don't remember much about the piece other than the very end, where Water says that she was planning to spend her later years in a multi-generational commune of her own design. Whether it was my state of emotional and physical exhaustion that morning, the heightened meaning and significance I'd given to the eclipse, or the fervency I felt to find my quote authentic path after so many years of being disconnected from myself, the sentence sent chills through my body. I vividly remember saying out loud, still wrapped in my sleeping bag with tears running down my face, this is it. Community was my path. To be clear, it's not that the interview with Alice Waters was solely responsible for planting the seed of community within me, 
There had been many months of meditation, synchronicity, and soul-searching that had brought me to this moment. However, on the morning of the eclipse, I felt that I was finally given permission to water the seed. It's been five and a half years since the eclipse, and while so much has come and gone in my life since then, my desire to cultivate community has only grown stronger. Community remains my greatest passion and my guiding light. However, what I've come to learn is that envisioning community and actually building community are two very different things. I believe that somewhere within each of us resides an archetypal imprint of community, a shared recollection of tribal belonging that exists in perpetuity. For some of us, this imprint feels particularly potent, like the memory of a lost loved one, and the grief associated with this loss emerges as an aching hunger, a deep longing to find our way back to something that feels both very far away yet unmistakably familiar. The hunger and longing is understandable. We all have a right to community, belonging, and tribe, and we all have a right to the grief that emerges in its absence. But here's the thing about hunger and longing. When left unsatisfied, especially for long periods of time, our hungers can expand, flood out, and push away anything that stands between them and satiation. Our hunger for food and our hunger for love, intimacy, and belonging are similar in the sense that all are imperative to our survival. When it comes to love, intimacy, and belonging, most of us are starving. In an effort to acquire what our soul and spirit crave, many of us are willing, whether consciously or unconsciously, to do whatever it takes. Think back to your state of mind when you fell in love for the first time. Didn't take much, right? Without any previous first-hand experience, our ideals, projections, and fantasies take center stage. Eventually, most of us will learn how to discern between real love and fantasy. Ultimately, we will learn how to balance our hungers with patience and judgment, but this takes time. When it comes to community, most of us are falling in love for the very first time. We are drunk with desire and infatuated by possibility. Our internal hunger for belonging, egalitarianism, and reciprocity is drowning out the tangible realities of what these things really mean. A year and a half ago, I left on a trip around the world with the intention of soaking up as much inspiration and direction as I could. I knew that when I returned from this trip, I'd likely be moving forward with building community in ways I never had before, namely by building a lifeboat of sorts in Crestone, Colorado, a place where friends could come stay while they help out with the garden or help us build a tea room or a greenhouse, a place for small gatherings of like-minded humans, a place of learning and sharing and belonging, a tangible, physical manifestation of something that up until now has only ever existed in the abstract. Show me what I need to learn, I said, as I boarded the first plane. A year and a half later, I can definitively report that I had a whole lot to learn. 
I've returned to the U.S. embarrassed and blushing from humiliation over what I thought I knew. Ideals ruptured by reality, naivete exposed, wings clipped by Kronos. So many tears and sleepless nights. I've returned humbled by the lessons and grateful for the initiation. What I've learned first and foremost is that community takes time. Community isn't something we master or opt in and out of. Community is something we practice. Community isn't a five-day retreat or a yoga teacher training. It doesn't reside in ecological metaphors and it isn't buying land with friends. Community isn't non-monogamy or regenerative agriculture. It's not a podcast, a music festival, or a women's circle. These may very well be inspirations for community, and perhaps examples of community. But community itself is so much more. Community is messy and confronting. It's not a shield that protects us from getting hurt. Community is heartbreak, vulnerability, and betrayal. It's telling someone that they hurt us and apologizing when we fuck up. Community requires boundaries and saying no. Community means discernment, discretion, and self-protection. Community is triggering and demands that we come back to it even when it hurts. Community mirrors everything we might hope to avoid. Community requires commitment, sacrifice, routine, and ritual. Community is animate, its teachings and lessons continually evolving. Community is a skill we practice. Although the plan to concretize my communal vision continues to evolve, I'm no longer holding on to the same amount of pride and certainty I once was. That said, relinquishing my expectations about how I want this plan to unfold hasn't been easy, because despite the hurdles I've encountered over the past several years, I am still drunk with longing. So far, the communal skill I've needed to practice the most has been confronting my longing's tendency to provoke drunken lapses in judgment. Just because we want something doesn't mean we possess the skills necessary to engage. Just because something feels familiar doesn't mean we know what to do with it. Just because the intention of our longing is pure doesn't mean we can't become blinded by our desires. Community is a practice. Shifting away from sanguinity doesn't mean we need to discard our optimism or our passion. Magic can still exist and thrive within the structures and limitations of grounded reality. Boundaries can still be pushed and creative innovation can still be employed. However, we need to get real and acknowledge that true, lasting community is far less glamorous and Instagram-worthy than what we anticipate it will be. In order to successfully cultivate togetherness, we need to relinquish our expectations embrace our inexperience, and confront the grief that fuels our boundless longing. I know it feels strange to be a novice at something that was such an integral and innate part of our species' history for hundreds of thousands of years. But denying our lack of knowledge and experience gets us nowhere. 
If we truly want to relearn the skills our ancestors possessed and passed on for generations, we first need to acknowledge our ineptitude. I will be the first to admit to my ignorance, and I hope you will join me in doing the same. Let us encourage each other to proceed with the innocent curiosity of a beginner's mind. Let us hold each other accountable to learning from our mistakes. Let us continually turn to one another and to the land and ask to be shown whatever it is we still need to learn. Let us grieve the losses collectively. Let us practice together again and again. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. That uh, was a piece that I wrote for Substack called Community is a Practice. And if you would like to get access to more of my writing, I won't always be reading it on the show. (laughs) So if you want to get access to more of my writing and join our community and maybe participate in the book club and comment on different episodes that you hear, you can find all of that good stuff for free at Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S dot substack dot com. I am here in Crestone on a beautiful freezing morning, sitting in my very creaky desk chair that you hear in the background that I can't seem to figure out how to stop getting it to creak. Um, yeah, I figured reading that piece uh, before today's episode made a lot of sense. Um, Today, I am bringing you a conversation that I had with Michael Ridge, who lives nomadically on horseback, which at first thought might sound very lonely and very solitary and very individualistic, Um, but in fact, it's not. And uh, the way that he lives is very much based on and inspired by and motivated by community and ecology and living in um, reciprocity with other people and also the land. And this piece that I wrote, it took me a little while to write it. It was difficult to write. It felt vulnerable. Um, I have so much to say about the past year and traveling and everything that I learned. And I'm, I've found that these things take a little while to settle. (laughs) Um, I think this past year of my life was like so jam packed with things and stuff and events and happenings um that it's only maybe just now many months later like the lessons and the reflections from that period of time has begun to sunk in like we need time to process and reflect um sometimes i think we move so fast and things happen so quickly that we don't even get a chance to really like enjoy them Um, And I don't mean enjoy them just in the sense of feeling joy around them, but enjoy the lessons, like soak up whatever it is we needed to soak up about that thing that happened, um, the things that were happening beneath the surface, the things that were happening subconsciously. So it's it's felt good to finally um, start to write about 
some of those experiences that I had and reflect on them. And there will be many more, many more pieces of writing and reflections for sure. It's been a full past, uh, I guess it's been a month since we arrived in Crestone, a little more than a month at this point. Lots going on, lots to talk about that will be covered in future episodes, <laughs> future sharings. Um, but a lot has happened specifically in the past couple of weeks uh, that I can't wait to talk about and share. Lots of things moving forward in ways that are awesome, but totally unexpected and slightly stressful. Um, it's been really lovely. I taught two contact beyond contact classes here in Crestone, which was so nice. And I'm really looking forward to getting those started back up again in January. It's been such a lovely way to meet people and spend time with people and move my body and encourage others to move their body, especially in this frigid cold weather that we're having. Um, it's been really nice and I'm really looking forward to teaching more of you, whether that happens in Crestone or somewhere else in the world. Um, I'm feeling so excited about and passionate about meeting more people in person, especially now that COVID's hopefully moving past us. <laughs> you never know. Um, and especially doing things with our bodies and moving and sweating together and dancing. I'm just, I'm feeling so, um, into that and want to cultivate that as much as possible. In other news, we are, I guess, a little past halfway through our December book club. We are reading Die Wise by Stephen Jenkinson, which is a big, dense book that has been sitting on my bookshelf personally for the past six years, and I've never read it. I actually was just like scrolling through my Instagram story archives the other day, and I literally saw a photo of me. It was like five or six years ago ordering this book, like, yay, I'm so excited. I never read it. Um, but now I'm reading it, and I'm reading it alongside a group of magnif magnificent humans. If you have already read this book, you are more than welcome to partake in our book club discussion. Um, I will be sending out the Zoom info shortly. I believe the conversation, um, we scheduled it to be on December 29th. Uh, at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, Marin Morgan from Death in the Garden is co-hosting this month's book club with me. And yeah, if you want to quickly read Die Wise, you could probably finish it. It's like 400 pages, but you have a few weeks. <laughs> if you want to pick it up and you haven't started it yet, but you want to participate, all the info for all of this is on Substack. So if you go to anyakots.substack.com, um, at the top, you'll see a little tab and it'll say book club and you can get the info. Um, make sure you're signed up for the specific book club mailing list. Um, and in the next week or so, I will send out a reminder about our discussion time and uh, the Zoom link info. Um, next month, we will be reading a book called uh, Wild Game by Adrian Brodeur, and that book club will be co-hosted by Erin, my close friend and horror rapport co-host. She sent me a few options for uh, to help her decide what book to choose, and this one um, looked really fascinating and quite triggering, so I think it'll be a good, interesting, potentially triggering time. But that's the best. Like, if you're not triggered, <laughs> really, what are you doing? Um, so yeah, looking forward to that. Again, the link to find all of that info is anyakots.substack.com. I think that's all of my housekeeping notes for today. I still owe you guys a solo episode, which I am planning to release, but I figured pairing this conversation with Michael with the piece I just wrote about community made sense and felt potent and top of mind. And so that's what I'm doing, uh, but still have lots to share. 
and we'll be able to share lots more in the coming weeks. So going to save that solo episode probably for the next time. And yeah, I think that's it for today. Going to keep it short and simple. I'm going to play you in with a song called Fertile Ground, which is by a bunch of people, Evan Frazier, Ver McCoy, Rising Appalachia, Chloe Smith, um, which I think needs basically no introduction. I think it will make sense why I chose this, especially after you hear the conversation with Michael. So enjoy this song. Enjoy this conversation. Please go support Michael in everything that he's doing because it's fucking inspiring and awesome. And it's important. It's important. I feel like I remember after I got divorced and changed my entire life and blew everything up, there was this girl that I knew. I, mean, I should find this letter that I wrote to her. There was this girl that I knew that had sort of left the job that she was working at alongside me in the natural products industry. And she went to Hawaii and like lived on this commune for a while. And I was so jealous and like so inspired by her willingness to kind of just like get up and quit and go do something else because she felt like what she was doing was not fulfilling and I always remembered that and it stuck with me I didn't know her very well I sort of just like saw some of her adventures from afar it's very possible she came back to the U.S. and like got a job and lived a more normal life but that thing that she did was so inspiring and so great and I remember when I decided to change my life I sent her an email to thank her <laughs> Um, which of course she was very surprised by because I think in her world she just felt like she was living her life and she was imperfect and it wasn't anything special and from my perspective those actions that she took were incredibly inspiring and like imperative to my own growth and my own path um, and I think I think it's nice to tell the people that inspire us that they inspire us um, and just let them know that maybe to them their actions seem mundane or have become normal, um, but that they're really inspiring others. And it's really important to keep sharing our stories so that we can inspire others. So basically, what am I trying to say? Do inspiring shit and thank other people for doing inspiring shit that inspires you to do inspiring shit. <laughs> That's my motivational message for today. Um, enjoy this song. Enjoy this conversation with Michael. And... Uh, sending my love to wherever you are in this world at whatever time um, in whatever season and yeah catch you at the end of this conversation
Michael, thanks to a couple of you who recommended that I have a conversation with him. Um, and I guess my listeners know me really well because when I found your your page and saw what you were doing in the world, um, I was super into it. And um, I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with you about your life. So thank you for taking the time out of what I assume is a very busy <laughs> schedule of setting up your winter camp to chat with me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's always something to do. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess I, it makes sense. a natural place to start is to talk about um, how would you describe yourself? What, who are you? What do you do now? And how did you get into this? Um, is the life that you're living now the life that you always thought you would be living? Well, <clears throat> no. No. So who am I? Who am I? I'm Michael. I'm just, uh, I'm just somebody that had found a purpose, a purpose that was rooted in the world around us, uh, our common ground, you know, the place where you can, I, you and I can meet and be on the same level on the same ground right there. And I think, uh, I think the attention and focus should be on our planet, right? The ground in front of us. And that's where we can meet and come together and find one another. And so in doing that, I found myself isolated, you know, far from where people are. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's an intricacy and an intimacy that's found between you and the living world around us. And that is where my heart and passion and motivation and dedication has grown. Because you go out into the world, most people are strangers to the world that we're living in. People don't know where we are and have made up this um, abstract existence that doesn't pay any mind or acknowledgement to the living world around us, while at the same time draining it of all of its life force. And uh, and so I'm not into it. I'm not into it at all. And And that destruction in our world that's happening that so many acquiesce to while the individuals that make up the multitudes may not be intentionally destroying everything. The people that are pulling the strings are doing it quite deliberately. You know, all of living creation is under attack right now. And so, and so when I found myself searching for an authentic purpose, I found myself where I am now. You know, and, and that authenticity and what it means to be a human being 
synchronicity will put you where you need to be. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So where are you? <laughs> what are you doing? Um, what does your life look like? And for the last decade, I've been living and traveling on horses. I have uh, Mustangs that I've trained myself. And they're very young and uh, been traveling mostly in the Pacific Northwest, but I don't limit myself. But I stay out West because because I travel and live outside year round traveling on these horses. It's centered around the traditional food systems of the ecosystem. And so my life is entirely centered around food freedom, autonomy, you know, like the core, yeah. uh, human habitat. And I'm in, I'm in one of these, uh, places where there's a living example of what the land would look like 600 years ago. And it is just nothing but food. As far as your eye can see, you can't make a step without stepping on food. And it's not just a handful of, of food. It's a whole library. And it's an education that is completely absent from any institution. Uh, it's knowledge that I've gained and received um, and gleaned through many people, many elders, and uh, people that know stuff. And... Uh, the the person that I learned the bulk majority um, of how to maintain a life on horseback in 2022 um, and introduced me to the vast library of these foods and their processes uh, was Phoenicia Madrano. And that person is dead and gone now, but a, a fascinating person nonetheless. Yeah, I look, you posted a, a video, a short video. I'm not sure if it's going to be made into like a larger film about Finn. Um, that I stumbled upon. It was amazing. I'd love to talk to you more <laughs> about that magnificent individual. Um, uh, the, the person I learned from was extremely ruthless for our mm. planet and did not give two shits about <laughs> literally anyone. And, and to, to be honest, you know, uh, since, since Finn's passing, um, the misanthropy that I was carrying is, is slowly starting to fade away. And I think that's in conjunction with uh, content creation mm -hmm. because for a long time, I've been trying to present these things on, on uh, Facebook or Instagram and they suppress you. Yeah. But with uh, the invention of TikTok and now reels and uh, YouTube shorts, exposure is very real. And so that lightened my heart quite a bit when it came to mm -hmm. um, my fellow man, because it wasn't that it wasn't, what people liked is just people weren't saying it. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that is cool. Um, so you said you found this way of living um, by sort of searching for a life that felt authentic to you. Um, you're in, I guess this is your early 20s if you've been doing this for 10 years. Um, I'm curious to hear what that journey was 10 years ago. How did you, what were the synchronistic events that led you to this? Yeah. This well, uh, I, I, I'm 33. Mm -hmm. And so I, I moved into full immersion uh, at 23. And it was two years prior to that. I had just turned 21 and I was, and I was roaming around uh, uh, Eastern Washington and Northern Idaho. And I was, uh, I didn't really have direction. 
at the time. And I was doing a lot of psychedelics, a lot of mushrooms and LSD and all that kind of stuff. And I was going around to uh, barter fairs. Barter fairs are these small gatherings of like drum circles and vendors and all this. And uh, I happened to be at this barter fair uh, in Idaho. And, and out of nowhere, this woman approaches me and, and asks if she can feel my heart. And I'm like, okay. Um, and she leads me down into the meadow. And this barter fair is a, a big meadow surrounded by vendors in all directions with a bonfire in the center. And in the meadow where there's nobody, she introduced me to Yampa, which is a wild carrot. And it, the, the contrast of, of, uh, these, what presumed to be free thinking people and, 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 uh, the f- freedom, actual freedom right there. Hmm. Uh, I tried that carrot, dug it and ate it. And I dug a bunch more because it was just, uh, incredible. It's a really good first food to be introduced to because it is absolutely amazing, tasty, very raw. And, <clears throat> and this person had told me about, this person living and traveling on horseback for the last 30 years, tending the traditional food systems, the indigenous people lived off of. For me, that was like click. Um, it just snapped into place and, and it became available to me right away. So that, that was my, that was my introduction to, to the native food and, and, uh, gave me a, a direction mm-hmm. to head out. Essentially. You, yeah. Did you ever feel like at that, age I feel like a lot of people that age and even into their 30s like are struggling with sort of feeling like the life they're living is maybe not what they want or having this awareness that like civilization and modernity is not really aligned with their morals or integrity um but feeling and but feeling sort of trapped by it at the same time and not and feeling like yeah um you know I I ideally that sort of where I'd want to go to move away from that or do something like you're doing, but I, I feel like I, I can't necessarily, did you ever feel any of those confines or did you feel no, really? I'll be honest. No. I'll no. be honest. You know, when I was 19 years old, I ate mushrooms for the first time. I had an experience where as soon as those visions started to kick in for me, I walked past a, a mud puddle. I was in Gasworks park in Seattle. There was mm-hmm. an oil stain in this mud puddle with a McDonald's cup floating in it. And, uh, that was at 19 years old and I was littering garbage all over the place out of my car at the time. And Mm. just the image of that oil stained mud puddle with a McDonald's cup in it, uh, presented me with the reality that the earth isn't doing good and it's human beings fault. And from that moment, just that image, just that instance, uh, I, uh, I flipped, I flipped my whole perspective flipped and, uh, and, and it resolved in accountability for, for, just what it means to exist here and the injustices that are just completely, um, ignored. And so, so it, it was that moment that, that, uh, set me in the, my trajectory and, uh, I, I just didn't have a way. So I abandoned, um, my identification, social security card, birth certificate, all those things, uh, which I eventually had to get back because I needed to pursue financial gain and able to, leave the system, right? It's just kind of like that Chinese finger trap. Yeah. And uh, and so 
I didn't really set myself up for success and it took me a couple of years and, and the gear, the gear to maintain your comfort outside year round is very expensive. There's a lot to it, a lot of little details to it. So how do you, I mean, this is, must be a very broad question that you think about a lot. Um, especially now, because I feel like these things like living nomadically, like ancestral skills, they're becoming sort of more trendy. And I think there's this sort of like struggle to figure out like what is authentic, like what does it mean to be nomadic, right? And and how do you make these decisions like between, you know, um, facets of civilization and modernity versus, you know, going back to old ways that were here long before that, Um like, is this a con, is this a struggle for you? Do you sometimes like, are you constantly struggling with like, should I buy that metal bottle or like, how do you sort of balance what is aligned with this path and what isn't? I know a lot of people settle on the image of a thing rather than the actual thing. Uh, the representation of something, a cosplay is always going to be what people, uh, resolve as it. Uh, I, I can tell you, I've never in my life been to a primitive skills gathering. I've never been to a mountain man rendezvous. Uh, I, I don't do, I don't go to these things. That's what is referred to as a cosplay where, where that is the ticket. The, the, the goal is to just dress up and look this way and pretend. And it's not a pretension. Everything that I do has a reason for and purpose and meaning everything I speak, say, do own and, uh, move. And, and so the authenticity really, uh, comes through on its own. It's not something you really have to work to put out there because, um, inspiration and original thoughts just flow from you like a fountain. And so it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and <clears throat> let's see, you know, when it, when it comes to, when it comes to people actually being authentic in their search and the, in their pursuit, yeah, people are entrenched in the life that they've been um, walking because they don't have any autonomy in it. And autonomy is, is a tricky thing. There's no blueprint. There's no trail. There's no guided path. There's no education system for it. Uh, so the innovatives of the world can't look to their peers for reassurance and guidance. And that's what it is. And, and the reality of our world, it's much darker than, than what a lot of people would like to believe. But the reality is human beings have been domesticated and with domestication comes permanent juvenilization. With this comes a lot of malfunctions physically, mentally, emotionally, all these ailments come out. Okay. That may, that means the, the human beings as a species are in this process of degradation, which means the capacity and ability to take on something, uh, that requires innovation and self motivation and personal drive has diminished in the people immensely. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, and it comes down to, uh, genetics and indoctrination, uh, and the intensity of these things. And so fuck, you know. That's harsh. That's really harsh. It's a very harsh perspective, but not everybody has it in them. Okay. And that's the unfortunate reality. And, and 
you know, the, the social engineering of our world doesn't really allow people to, to break through even in their own mind, even with the help and aid of psychedelics, because we're stuck in these patterns, these indoctrinated patterns that are, uh, very deep ruts in our mind. And, um, you, you, you know, uh, just like you can zoom out on Google maps of a city and see all the linear structures, all the boxes, all the linear lines, that's what's been done to our mind. You know, um, I think like, look at horses, look at all the contraptions that have been designed and made and perfected to harness the power of a horse. You think that hasn't been done with human beings? That's what social engineering is. You know, that's a reality. And so to actually make your own way, find your own way, which you don't have to, all you have to do is glean from the, from the, a model already existed. That was sustainable. And now we need to glean from these sustainable practices. And this is how we're going to forge our future. So when I post on social media and I share a lot of the things that I've been doing, uh, one of the uh, number one uh, arguments that people have to try and discredit me is the fact that I have a cell phone, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I have to battle people's fanatical assumptions, these generalizations and fantasies that they have in their mind that I have to somehow match up to and multiply that across a million people. So, and, and who else in the world is it wrong to have a cell phone for, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me, uh, because, because in their mind, we're trying, I'm trying to go back to this primitive way. We're trying to regress into, into total primitivism. And, and that isn't it. That isn't it. And, and that, uh, is an example of a lack of flexibility in the mind because our future has to become sustainable. So we have to integrate these sustainable ways, these symbiotic ways into technology, into the future. And that is where we're going to have an actual authentic future in our world. You know, we can't just keep doing what we're doing. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I, I like that idea. I mean, and I, I do think obviously like I, I, talk and teach a lot about mythology and and so there's a lot of talk of like how do we write new stories and construct new narratives for the future and I think so often what we end up doing is yeah wanting to like tear out a lot of the pages or the chapters of how we got to this point and go backwards when unfortunately that's not really how things work and like whatever story we tell or whatever life we live is going to be on the heels of what's come you know behind it. Um, and I, and I do think that's a difficult, and maybe, I don't know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like, do you think like people are struggling with that because they don't have the level of discernment to actually decide for themselves? What is, you know, exemplary of the vision that they're upholding or not, you know, like they wouldn't know if they should have a cell phone or not, or like use Amazon or not, or like, you know, participate in this or not, because they actually don't have a vision. Um, False moralities abound. False moralities abound. You know, I like to radicalize my friends with just this thought right here. Why does evil in the world have absolutely no bounds? While good in the world has such tight, strict bounds, could mm-hmm. it be that evil's making the rules for good? Because I'm pretty sure Geronimo was a good man, but he was also a war shaman, yeah. you know, yeah. where there was no bounds to do a good thing. You know, I like to radicalize my friend's mind with that kind of thought, yeah. you know, because I'm going to use every tool and resource available to get a good thing done. 
people want to discredit you for using a truck. Uh, what they're really saying is these things are reserved for evil doing only. There's no good that you can do with them and you're bad now for, see, you see, and the people, the people inadvertently act as the immune system for the beast for Babylon. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the indoctrination and it's going to come up and it comes up often. How do you address that stuff? Ah, you just want to smash them, but you can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It actually, it reminds me, I was, uh, recently in Africa um, with the Hadzabe tribe and, you know, in, in talking with them and, you know, like basically they describe themselves or would categorize themselves as opportunists, right? They have absolutely no interest in join, in joining the modern world. Um, like none, like they, they understand that, you know, people from the modern world want to come and visit them and see what they're all about, but they don't have an interest in coming the opposite direction. Unlike some other you know, um, tribes that exist right by them. However, at the same time, you know, if people are coming and offering them things that is of use to them and of use to the life that they're living, they don't turn it down, you know? So if that bottle or that piece of clothing or those shoes made from tires help them live their lives, um, yeah, it just seemed like what you were saying was sort of aligned with that. It's like, we can have both. We can take from the modern world what is useful and that doesn't mean that we're sacrificing or going against our integrity or morals no no and they'll always they'll always use that to discredit you which which is uh you know you have uh you have protesters protesting the the oil wells in the ocean using plastic kayaks and they're going to use that fact to discredit them right (laughs) right right and 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 it's a double-edged sword because people are going to be like yeah yeah. And, and, and that's what, that's the, that's the, where a reverse barometer comes in because, because you can flip, flip just about any cute saying or quip on its head. And you're probably, you're probably spot on in the direction that, uh, uh, in, of reality, you know, because in, in reality, you can use any tool and resource to do a good thing because it's yeah. available. And, and, uh, uh, smart people don't, don't say, no, nah, I better not use that because, well, people wouldn't approve, and uh, and and that doesn't that doesn't really matter so much, yeah. you know. I don't I don't go into self con I don't self condemn like that. Yeah, um, I'd love to talk like logistics and sort of just get a sense um, and sort of showcase for the listeners like what your life looks like and what your days look like. Obviously, every day is different. You're traveling. You're moving things change but um and i know it's like obviously different in the warmer months versus the winter months um but i would love to for you to sort of talk about like what is it what is life like in the summer and then what is life like in the winter for you yeah well right now it's winter camp and and it's pretty relaxed um but no matter what time of year it is every day you get to wake up on your own volition your own motivation and do what you want you get to have your life and you get to choose what you want to do with it and my my life is guided more in uh circumstance because i'm not in control of the of the finer points of the world around me i can go to places where i want to go but ultimately i have to work within the confines of what is available to me and and right now in winter camp it just looks like me waking up. I wake up around five in the morning and put on water for coffee and go out and feed the horses. And then, and then I'll, uh, get busy. I've been making all kinds of stuff. I, I really love, uh, glow in the dark is my favorite color and I have glow in the dark tape and I've been playing with it. 
you know, Sweet. and, uh, and making little things. And then I'm splitting wood and stacking hay and, and, uh, visiting with friends. And soon I'll be, uh, teaching hide tanning very soon. Mm. I'm going to be opening that up here. And, um, and, and so, uh, pretty much in the wintertime, you just have to stay busy. Uh, there's a lot to do and I, I craft, I make a lot of stuff. So every winter come, you should be coming out of winter with a lot of beautiful handmade stuff. And it. then the, the spring and the summer when, when we're riding out, that, that's like the most joyous time of the year for me because I, I'm most at home, uh, in the landscape amongst the amongst the foods and that's where that's where bringing in all kinds of people in the local community and just introducing them to where we are the finer details and how magical this place is and right now i'm currently in the klamath basin i was asked to come back to the klamath basin i spent the winter in north idaho last winter Mm. and a tribal elder here within the klamath tribes asked me to come back down here because um I can't really talk about too much, but uh, basically uh, the the aims are to make this uh, knowledge accessible to the to the native community here to mm. give it back. You know, in in the in the form of uh, programs, I've been bringing up the thought of an immersion program because I know what solidifies this education is waking up every day amongst these things. You just don't forget, even if it's just a, a month, you'll you'll never forget what you woke up and participated with every day. And so, uh, when it comes down to it, I, I've been um, I've been the recipient of of traditional ecological knowledge that is culturally sensitive the the details and magnitude of of what i've learned is not common anymore and and it's something the way that i live has provided me the opportunity to take it as far as it can possibly go which is extremely abstract to everybody's life and 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 trying to make that available to people is really complicated mm-hmm. but it, but it's what needs to happen and so, so none, none of the things that I know, share and, and do, I, I sell. I don't sell the knowledge of brain tanning or I don't sell the knowledge of foods, nor would I ever. I would never do that because I know the cost of those things was actually just the commitment to participate. And that's what's, that's what it's got to be. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I'm sorry if that's off track from your question. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I also wanted to, talk to you about that because I feel like that's something that really frustrates me um, right now, especially with in my our generation, um, speaking about like appropriation. And in my opinion, I feel like we're not talking about much of anything when we talk about that, that it's a distraction from the fact that like we don't have tradition and we don't have ritual and we don't have these skills and this information that you're talking about. And we've been like you said, like co-opted by all these different systems and forces to forget it. Um, Does that ever like permeate your world at all? Like people being like, you're a white guy. Why are you doing these things? (laughs) You know, it never, never really before until, until TikTok and and, and, uh, my Instagram (laughs) reel started blowing up. I mean, seriously. Like in the real world, no. (laughs) No, it's never, it's never been a problem. And, and, you know, I, um, uh, the, the difficulty is a lot of people have projections, you know, and, and could they, it's not a conversation most people are willing to actually authentically communicate about. That's why they jab. 
So, so the jabs are, you there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. Um, people are going to constantly, uh, confuse acculturation with appropriation and call mm. them the same thing. And that's a discernment thing. And I can't be in charge of people's discernment, especially in a one minute, two minute video. I can't address everything that, that somebody would have to say against it. I, I just can't. And I'm not even going to try. Uh, I, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I've learned it really well. And, um, and, and of course the, the issues need addressed, but, but not with people that, that aren't authentic in communication or connection. You know what I mean? Totally. It's tricky. It's yeah. tricky. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so what, what am I going to do? Tell, tell, yeah, it's not addressable with, yeah. with people that are going to stand up and jab and, and, uh, you know, the, the, the powerful voices and the powerful minds that do address social justice in our world that actually do, do pave a way for things to be corrected socially. Um, so many people jump on that and, and, uh, get their yayas out on it. You know, they, 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 uh, use it as an opportunity to express the hatred that they have in their own being and, and, and call it something else. But uh, but they're responsible for that, and, and when everything is is lined out and straight, you know. And uh, I've been the recipient of a lot of hatred, um, and and I, and none of it uh, had been the result of me expressing hatred. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I I want to talk about Finn a little bit because I assume you know you must have learned not just about like the plants and how to live this life, but also how to sort of cope with living this life. Right. I, I, you know, uh, cope. Yeah. That's not a good word, but like, you know, I'm sure that like many people if or most people in your position, you know, are experiencing the same things, this judgment, miscategorization like accusation you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't throw me off because yeah. because like i said i know what i'm doing i have a direction i have yeah. i have a point that i'm trying to reach it, all, all the other is just trying to distract you and throw you off yeah. and and i and i know better than that right. i know better than that um yeah. and and i don't mean i don't mean to sound arrogant you know uh in that i just uh i'm just I just know what I'm doing and I, and I have an understanding of what's going on in our world. And, uh, and I know, I know what it's done for me to pursue a purpose outside of myself. It it has given me myself. It it made me myself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where, where I found my sense of belonging and purpose in this world was getting to know intimately the world around me. The more I got to know all these things, the more magnified the details came. You know, you, you start to key in on details. Well, soon those magnify and there's, it fractals off into more details. And that's what really matters. You know, um, to me, to me, the, the things that the world opening up to you and showing you and, uh, and, when it comes to what's important, that's, that's what's most important. And then me articulating these things to, to bring other people in because it's absolutely necessary to what it means to be a human being. And so, uh, the, any of the naysayers don't, don't really get to me anymore. It used to, it used to, Mm. because I'm like, Hey, what, what? (laughs) But it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it used to though. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you spoke about 
or maybe I don't know if we just talked about it or if I've just watched you talk about it a lot, but you know, I, I is part of what's more difficult nowadays in pursuing a life like this is that it's often um like there's this individualistic overlay on it, right? Like when we think about primitive skills, we think about like, you know, alone or like these these things where people are off by themselves trying to survive. And obviously that's not, you know, I hate the word natural, but like that's not how we evolved. We've never evolved individually surviving on our own like that meant death. Um, is that something you struggle with it all do you take are you traveling with other people um do you ever feel lonely do you feel sometimes like it would be really nice to have more people help because of the amount of no work I'll, I'll, I'll be on i'll be honest like yeah. camp is camp usually has visitors um and uh and like i had a young young kid traveling with me for for two months last year but uh he was in like all of one TikTok because he's 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 a baby and and he's yeah. not confident and he's camera shy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, and so it's just me presenting on there but but I have uh visitors from all over the world all year round yeah. and I'm not really lonely. And yeah. and I have a ton of friends local here, uh tribal and non-tribal that come in and and, and visit camp and uh and when so like when when my when my tribal friends come in, they come into camp. They, they get to meet these new places where they may have never seen before, and be introduced to the the foods and the medicines that 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 are there. And people that keep coming back, keep coming back. They're slowly getting more and more familiar with the greater uh, places around us because I find all the best camps. Mm. You know, my favorite pastime is staring at the map, finding mm. these beautiful places. And uh, good, good places. And so, uh, I'm sorry. What was the question um, about, like the individualistic sort of um, the way that, like, we look at this through an individualistic lens that we think that, right. like, living off the land means living by ourselves, surviving on our own without any support. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, people want you to live like it's Geronimo's time when Geronimo couldn't even live like it's time. <laughs> it's it's his time. You know. Uh, uh, right the the premise the premise of those shows is is uh is doomed to failure it's it's meant to be a failure there's actually never been a success story of uh somebody venturing out and in, into the wild you know and look at into the wild or or any of these things and <laughs> and uh, the problem that i have with naked and afraid or alone is that they didn't accomplish anything they just made it to a certain time they suffered for a certain amount of time and and then they get to call themselves a winner, you know. Yeah. Um, and that that's pretty sad. That's pretty sad because there are places yeah. in the world uh, where you can actually live successfully, completely immersed in the land without without that. But but the knowledge uh, between a group of people needs to be substantially uh, equitable. Yeah. You know. It, it has to be balanced. People have to know the environment that they're living in and they have to be able to get along with one another and have a system and be able to fill in gaps when gaps need filled in. And, um, and geez, that's the reality of what it would take to, to make it. But, but, um, I can't, I can't think of a, 
you know, I don't really want to do that because I know that the destruction of our world is happening at a faster rate. Pro- probably I could go live the rest of my life ha- selfish. It's not a purpose. Right. It, it, uh, and that's, that's really the, the problem with, uh, a lot of what, uh, people focus their life and they call themselves their purpose. Like he, I, I'm my own purpose. I, I'm going to go get a job and I'm going to have a nice vehicle and I'm going to have a house and, and all these things for myself that degrade the world around us. And, and, um, because it's so far removed, like I, I like to say, uh, uh, man doesn't create man makes and everything man made is actually waste. It converts our living world to waste. It doesn't play a role in creation. It plays a role in de-evolution. It just breaks everything down and converts it to uselessness. And, and so that is not a purpose. That is not a purpose. I think an authentic purpose is working towards something that's beyond yourself that is actually beneficial mutually in, in all directions. And, and when it comes down to it, the obvious answer is is the foods, the natural native foods of the landscape, because that's human beings placeholder on this planet. You know what I mean? These these foods that are natural in our world, they hold our place on this world and, and they're going away at an alarming rate. And the main reason why they're going away is lack of participation. Yeah. See, the the natural world doesn't thrive when you leave it alone. It thrives when you participate with it in a way that uh, is mutually beneficial. And, and that does exist. This dichotomy of, of lose-lose um, has uh, taken over every facet of what man has made. You know, it's a double standard. Every, every niche you could possibly explore is a double standard that either directly diminishes the natural world or acquiesces to the destruction of the natural world. Those are your choices. Submit or, or, or get to hammer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and there's so many, like, as you're talking, it's so clear, like the correlatory between, you know, learning to live with in like reciprocity with the land is the same thing as as needing to learn like and I think we do need to learn with each other and in reciprocity with each other right like we're all part of this ecology um a friend of mine Callie Russell did one of these alone shows and she I don't know if you know who she is but I know Callie um, yeah 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 um and yeah we were talking about this too like how cool it would be to have one of those if there is a show like that to have people like working together to showcase like the need um for that to happen and for us to learn how to do that because if we can't work with each other then how can we work with the land and if we can't like work with the land how can we work with each other you know like there needs to be so much more of a communal focus in my opinion Mm-hmm. Yeah. absolutely yeah. it doesn't work otherwise yeah. Do you find that there are more people doing what you're doing now? Is this like a growing thing <laughs> or do you still feel like you're one of the few? I mean, I mean in 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 all I've been doing holistically, I yeah. I don't I don't know anyone, but but I have been watching uh more and more people uh participate with the landscape around them and 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 that's a beautiful thing to see. That's a beautiful thing to see, um, to see these, uh, 
you know, um, just recently um, sat in and participated at a First Foods Roundtable meeting here uh, with the tribe. And for that, brought in a lot of wild food for the feast, for the feast. And the day before, went out to to dig a root called yan. Yan, it's a, it's a mariposa lily. And, and uh, all mariposa lilies or sago lilies are food. And uh, their leaves, their blossoms, and their roots are really delicious. And out here, it's called yan, and went up to a place that's uh, abundant with those things. And, and my Modoc brother brought kids and, um, we, we dug a bunch of roots and, and just the other day, um, I, I saw, I saw one of the kids that, uh, was digging roots with us and he comes right up to me and he gives me a hug and he asked me if we can go dig more roots. And, and just a little tear comes out of my twinkling little eye because that's the point yeah. right there have a have a you know a, an 11 year old um excited that he learned this new root and food and really enjoyed the taste of it and wants to go get more that's the reason why i'm doing it so yeah. um that, that feeds me immensely yeah do you is it relatively like i mean not easy but i'm sure most people don't understand how you live off the land right like what land are you on how are you staying on it do you ever get in trouble um how does all that work yeah i've never been in trouble i've never been arrested and and uh if i'm traveling through settlements towns or cities i'll call the cops on myself i i i often push the boundaries with the with the rules and regulations and ordinances um and uh, I do that by by calling the cops on myself. If I'm going to make a camp where it's someplace I'm not supposed to, I'm going to tell the cops who, what, when, where, and why. Let them know that this is what I'm going to do. And I know it's uh, not okay, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and and I get the past quite often. Yeah. Um, by doing that, that, that keeps uh, the cops off of you. And then, of course, you deal with hostility amongst the people every now and again. And, um, but, but most of all, most of all, I'm in places where there, you, you hardly ever see anyone. It's really easy to navigate out West because it's a lot, there's a lot of public land and there's a lot of different kinds of public land. You have Bureau of Land Management, Forest Service, um, and, uh, wilderness areas and, and various state lands. And, um, between all of those, it's really easy to remain within the bounds of the law. Uh, in regards to stay limits. And then, uh, when I do travel through, through towns and settlements, uh, I'll oftentimes camp on the county easement, which isn't my preference. Uh, which the easement is that space between the road and the fence, you know, mm-hmm. the bar ditch, uh, which is public land. Any, any county property is public property, uh, including fairgrounds and, and, uh, easements. Mm-hmm. And which is totally fine. Even in your vehicle, if you're driving, it's late at night and and you're tired, you could pull over into the bar ditch and and rest. You know, that's okay. Uh, A lot of people don't know that. Right. Yeah, I was, I wonder how, you know, like this idea that we're sort of in cages with the door, with the door wide open in a way, like there are so many regulations or things that we think would get in the way of what we want to do, but really 
maybe just actually trying and doing what you're doing, like calling the cops on yourself. Like I assume most people are surprised by how not challenging um, that sort of thing ends up being. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, The reality is uh, uh, we do have freedom to roam. And, and uh, when you're traveling by horses and, and in the, in the book, uh, horse travel is number one because it came before vehicles and you have the right to transport you and your belongings via horse or vehicle. Mm-hmm. And with that in, when you have horses, uh, that, that's a, that's a whole nother set of rules that they're, they're living, breathing creatures they can only go so far in a day and, and they need the things that they need. They need water and they need grass. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, assume things are illegal when, when they're not. And, yeah. and I deal with that often. I do deal with that often because if there's a, if there's a water source behind a fence that says no trespassing and it's the only water source, I'm going to open up the fence and water my horses. But, but I'm not going to be all hidden about it. I'm going to tell them that I did it too. Yeah. And it's okay if you want to call the cops. I'd rather talk to the cops than a hostile person. I've never been in trouble for these things. You know, I'm, I'm just, uh, uh, when it comes to, when it comes to suffering and my animal suffering, I'm always going to choose the, the out for that. Uh, I can only go so far on my horses. I have to call it. I can't push them until they're dead. No, nobody, nobody can tell you and make you do that yeah. at all. So, so my problem inadvertently becomes their problem, yeah. you know, and that's the, okay. You know, that's what it's like to travel through, through towns and deal with hostile people. But it's not, it's not the predominance of my experience. Mostly people, people are like, wow, you know, and, and the impact that I have coming through on a horse, um, people don't forget me, uh, just because the impact that I have on them is way greater than somebody just walking down the road or somebody waving as you're driving by. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So impeccability in my actions and in my words has to be solid because my impact is greater and deeper than most other people's. And so by upholding myself to the standard of, of basic logic, I'm not trying to get one over on you. I'm not trying to take advantage of you. I'm not trying to steal. I'm not trying to hurt nothing. We're just living. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's a, there's a freedom in that that uh, most people haven't haven't touched on very much yeah do you think that I mean that hostility while I know it's rare like do you think that part of that is coming from that people feel threatened by like the fact that they have that they know nothing about any of the things that you're doing right like they're so I mean they would never admit to that right like they would say you know what you're doing is primitive or um you know not modern as it should be or something but do you think that part of it because like for me there's there I can definitely feel into like with Callie for example like the intimidation of recognizing like you know so much that I don't know and while for me it doesn't turn into hostility I could see that maybe for somebody it would yeah that's for sure and, 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 uh, that's entirely, um, their problem. You know, that's not, that, that's, uh, that's, uh, that comes up often. That's one of yeah. the, that's one of the main things that, that most of the time the people that are behaving in that way aren't re- really ready to talk about it. So, mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah, I um sorry, busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Yeah. Um so I mean, I imagine that or or maybe I'm wrong to assume this, but I'd I'd like to talk a bit about like anger and grief because I feel like the more that we sort of check out of conventionality or the more that we decide to go against the grain that what inevitably comes out is a lot of grief and anger about the way the thing way the things are um and it must i think the more time we spend in nature uh the more time we learn about the land the more time we sort of think about these things and the widespread dis- disconnection from the earth you know like there is a lot to grieve um and be angry about i mean it could you know last lifetimes um so i'm interested to hear what your journey with that is and um was that something you felt more early on or still sort of like pass through like how do you sort of deal with the emotional overload of just being frustrated <laughs> about how things are I used to be incredibly more misanthropic and, and over time, um, that's mellowed out in my expression because, because I've learned to articulate myself, hmm. you know, there's different ways to express these things and you don't necessarily have to, um, express your anger or frustration in ways that are lashing out more so you can sit with it and articulate it, you know, understand it think, think about it. Why? And the more you do that, the more you introspect, the more language you have to put to it, the more of an ability you have to address those, to address those things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and with, uh, so it's an evolution in itself. You know, uh, when I listen to a love song, any, any love song, I don't, relate that to a human relation i relate that to the earth hmm. you know i think i think of it like that and and so it's it's easy it's easy to remain in a place that uh it's easy to remain in a place of anger when you're constantly reminded how little people care about the world around you and when you live with it intimately and you see the degradation every day and you see people's uh, relationship to these places, to these spaces. It's easy for that to close in on you. But it's an opportunity at the same time. And so just like making content, you know, um, uh, TikTok has to be a, a fam- family-friendly place. And even if you use a curse word and it was a video you made three months ago, it could be reported and taken down in your account band. And uh, I don't. I don't regret that because it encourages you to get better at your articulation. Hmm. You know what I mean? And instead of just getting mad and, and, and saying, you know, to hell with this. And so, so that's what you, it gives you a choice. It gives you a choice. And the freedom that I have in, in what I know how to do is uh, no matter how frustrated or angry I am, I can just hop on my horse and be like, see ya. You know, I can, I can just ride, I can just ride away from it, you know? Yeah. 
Um, that's not something anybody else has really. Not very many people. And so, and so I'd say over time, it's allowed me to get better at articulating the things that really need addressed and talked about. Whether or not people uh, resonate with the message, because I realize the videos that I make are really obscure and uh, not everyone's cup of tea, and it leaves a lot to interpretation, I guess. And and uh, so as things come up, it, it helps me address and, and chisel it down to a more finer point, you know. And and a, a lot of that introspection is just that, you know, it's distilling and purifying your, your thoughts and your language. Yeah. I wanted like to ask you a question about, you know, now that you've been doing this for 10 years, you know, if someone were to come to you and say like, this is something I'm interested, this is something I want to do, instead of giving advice about logistically, like, you know, these are the things you should learn and these are the steps you should take, I'd, I'm interested to hear more on, on like an emotional and psychological level, what you would recommend for someone like what are these qualities that you feel like you've been able to hone or practice or just have within you authentically for whatever reason, because of your past, et cetera, like, what does it take? Um, and what are, what are those qualities that you think people need in order to live this way? Yeah. Yeah. Cueing on your resistances. Oftentimes the things that we resist are the things that we need to lean into. You know, it's a threshold. A lot of the things and hard truths, um, result in confrontation and animosity because uh, the resistance, resistance mm-hmm. to to certain realities, and uh, the the biggest struggle in everything is not learning the skills and abilities that is attainable. That's very easy to do. It just takes time. the The biggest struggle is what they call decolonizing your mind, right? And and you can't do that within the structure. You know, my, my teacher Finn would say a pig would have to leave the mire to get clean. And, uh, that's why I'm going to create a new, uh, episode, uh, playlist on, on my, uh, on my videos called outside perspective because, uh, because yeah, you have to, you have to get out of the shit mess to actually be able to see it for what it is. And you can't do that entrenched in it. And so when people talk about decolonizing their mind while they're in the colony, um, it's cute. It's kind of funny. Um, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. That, that isn't to minimize the, the trinkets of, of truth and power that people have and have obtained. Um, but it, but it's, uh, but there's a lot more. It's massive. It's massive. And there, there's just no end to it really. Uh, because, because when you're when you're working and introspecting and trying to instill these practices that are helpful instead of hurtful, the the reality is the way we learn to grow up in town and civilization amongst our peers is not how it works to grow up and live within the landscape. They are two different two different things, two different yeah. paradigms, two different power structures, and so the accessibility. Uh, to, to the natural world and its fullness. Um, we're in our own way. We're in our own way up here to actually get what's being offered fully. And, and so that, that's a big struggle to do on your own. You need other people. You, because we all have our own blind spots and we can encourage ourselves to go in this, uh, just slightly off direction. 
and we're only looking to ourselves. I see, I don't look to myself for reassurance. I don't look to my peers for reassurance and direction, but I also don't look to myself for reassurance and direction. I look to the, to the wake of the things that I've been doing. And, and when you see, when you see the wake and beauty of your wake in, in just, moving across the land in a way that's beneficial to the land and it's benefiting you at the same time, the fruit of your effort is its own reward. And, and so I'm constantly checking myself in my relationship to the things that I'm participating with because it's as, it's as simple as, 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 um, you know, uh, parking your vehicle on a serviceberry bush that's trying to grow, right? That's your relationship to that. as small of an instance as that possibly is. It's an example of your relationship and to have the ability to introspect and hold yourself accountable on even that small kind of thing to reflect on your own personal relationship to everything living around you. It's going to really box you in. It's going to feel like you're not allowed to, uh, to be, or you can't do anything right. And, and, and that is the threshold to move into something that is more authentic and under and aware because being aware and present is a full-time job when you come from entrenched indoctrination. It, it isn't something, um, that is just automatic and you can just flip a switch and now you're good to go. And, uh, a good example. Uh, because uh, a good example of this, because you can instill good habits and make them um, uh, automatic. You know, a, a small example I use with this is like tying my shoe. There's there's two ways to tie your shoe. You know, you can use a granny knot, which is most if you know macrame. There's a spiral twist and then there's a flat braid. And and uh, when you're working with horses, you always want to use a square knot because it's tight, uh, which is the flat braid and macrame. When I tie my shoe, I always tied a granny knot instead of a square knot. And I wanted to tie a square knot. I wanted it to look nice and symmetrical. And, and that's a really good small example that teaches you, if you're paying attention, how you learn and the process of what it means for you individually to take a practice and, and make this other practice um, automatic. That and, and being able to introspect on that level with the little things that you do and try and shift to this other way, uh, it's really revealing and it helps you take on bigger challenges mentally. Um, uh, I don't know if that, that helps, but, but you know, it's, it's a mess. One thing it requires is each other to, to, to do that. And, um, because holding each other accountable to bad ways, you know, um, can easily turn into confrontation and animosity. It can easily do that when there's resistance to it. And so being teachable, being open and understanding and communicative are all necessary traits in moving forward, trying to uh, do better and be better. Hmm. Yeah, I love all of that. I, I always talk about something I did six years ago when I was trying to figure out how I'd gotten to where I had gotten and who I was and what I wanted to do that. I just started asking myself like why questions for everything. Like, why are you wearing this? Why are you buying that? Why are you going to bed at this time? Why are you waking up at this time? Like you really do have to deconstruct these sort of minute things that you've just taken for granted um, and recognize that like we have a choice with all of this and it seems sort of like rudimentary and ridiculous, but I do think like it takes that level of self-reflection and critique to constantly ask ourselves, 
you know, like, what is our integrity? And then is this action actually supporting it and aligned with it? Um, I was just listening to this podcast the other day. This guy was talking about the concept of embodiment, which is like sort of ridiculous and and modern in, in so many different ways, but just offered this sort of simple explanation of like, what if we just thought about embodiment as you know, like applied philosophy, like the things we do in our lives, the way we act, the choices that we make and the actions that we take are aligned with our, you know, our morals and our and our values. Um, and that seems like so simple. And yet I feel like it's something that people really struggle with. It's actually a natural process. So when you when and, and that's what the skills are necessary for in, in maintaining a life. You know, the the gear, the skills, the knowledge allow you to maintain a life comfortable in the natural world. And that puts you back in the evolutionary process. And the evolutionary mm. process is life coming up with win, 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 win solutions in all directions. That's the natural flow of evolution is, uh, you know, nature doesn't create anything that isn't in its own benefit um, because it's a really fine, intricate uh, peace. So, so making yourself available full time will naturally put you in this process of these win, 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 win situations and, and mm-hmm. things are going to come up. The things that need addressed are, are going to come up and, and having the ability to introspect is going to allow you the ability to take accountability for, for your part in whatever went wrong. Because if you're authentic in it, you want to do what's right to, to make the situation better. You know, and anytime something goes wrong, it's important to have that ability to introspect so you can tighten up, you know, understand why it went wrong, which means you had to be paying attention in the first place. Otherwise, it's going to happen over and over and over again, you know, and and uh, there's there's many examples of this all around. But I had a horse that jumped over my electric fence and uh, she took the fence down when she jumped over and all five horses got out and they ran down the highway miles and it was six in the morning, hadn't even had a cup of coffee. And I was camped alongside the highway and I had to get up and, and chase after those horses and I stuck my thumb out and lo and behold, the first person that drove by stopped and let me hop in the back of their truck and I'm like, I got horses flying down the road, I just need to go. And, and uh, you know, and, and they were two miles down the road and uh, didn't have any of my lead ropes off. I had to go back from my lead ropes, right? And, and then, and then, uh, you know, that's two miles. And then go back. And then I got. Then I have to catch them. And they're in somebody's little uh, farm area. And um, and then I got five horses. I'm leading all in this bar ditch, all two miles back to camp, and miserable. I never want to yeah. do that again. Never. <laughs> so so how do I how do I prevent what what mm. what happened? What what happened? My horse jumped over my electric fence. Okay, well, what if I raised my electric fence to where she would rather go under it instead of over it? Because then I did that, and she, she, when she went under it, it didn't fall down. And the other horses told on her, and I could put her back. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a loose example, but it's an example of what it means to understand what went wrong, why it went wrong, and how can you implement a fix to prevent it from happening in the future. You do that, and you do that with, with everything in your life. You're tightening up a lot of stuff. And there's some, there's some, uh, fundamental, uh, things that horses help you with because anything that can go wrong with horses will go wrong. Absolutely. And so you need to keep everything tight and right and do things the first time and double check. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good ways. Yeah. And like, and of course, to the end of not 
you know, this sort of modern understanding of like the authentic hero's journey individual, but you're, what you're saying is basically like, if you're not, you know, why are, why are we doing this work? Right. And I think obviously the point um, is to uh, become better connected with and better partners with the natural world. And like that, that is a motivation that should be the motivation um, sort of in and of itself. I mean, what, what really, what really is there to do anymore? Because, uh, how, how, how can you live on a world where, where that's completely unacknowledged? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, do you consider yourself like spiritual at all? What is your relationship with that concept? Well, um, I'd, I'd say that, that the way that I move is a walk with spirit, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't have a division between the spiritual and the physical. They're the same thing. The spiritual is a physical and, uh, the way, the way you move, you know, the way the spirit works, there's a, there's a word for it. Moves, 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 um, which is to t- a tell of the spirit. And that means you make a move, then the spirit can move. Spirit can take away, the spirit can give. It all depends on what you choose or don't choose. In action, the spirit's always going to take away, you know, but you take a step and then the spirit can step. And, and in moving that way, I've found that there are, uh, so many things initiated that come back in their own time. So many things, so many things. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a really beautiful walk because, Yeah, uh, the the synchronicity of everything is just uh, magical, and and I uh, I like to describe spirit in that way synchronicity, synchronicity because you and I have our own free will and we make our choices and we get to make our choices, but how all of our individual choices align and synchronize together that's something that we're not in charge of, and that synchronicity is something that I found uh, a, an alignment in my in my whole life. Uh, for a very long time, you know, even, even the person that taught me how to do this, their birthday was 11, seven, mine's seven, 11, right? Well, you know, and I asked, I asked Ben, I said, what, what do you think that means that your birthday was 11, seven and mine's seven, 11. And without skipping a beat, Finn said, that means my pinnacle is your basement. Run with it, fucker. <laughs> <That's great>. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. That's awesome. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. That's yeah. a real elder right there. Yeah. Well, this was awesome, Michael. Thank you so much. I hope to do this again sometime, maybe in person. That would be lovely. Um, but I really appreciate you taking the time and and not just sharing this with me or my audience, but you know the effort that you're putting in to share this with um, the world as best you can, and um, carrying the phone around and filming things. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's really uh, like honorable and awesome that you're doing it. So. I appreciate that. Hello, everybody. Thank you for sticking around and listening to that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you would like to join our book club, get involved in the community, comment and leave your thoughts on different episodes and get access to bonus content, lots of different pieces of writing, poetry, etc. book reviews that started that. I'm also going to be doing, oh, I'm also releasing recipes 
and I'm going to be doing a series about my trip around the world, every country that we went to. Um, all of that can be found for free at Substack, Anya Katz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S dot Substack dot com. Sign up. Would love to have you. Introduce yourself. Leave a comment somewhere on something. Uh, everything is sent to you via email so you don't miss a thing. And... Yeah, I think that's all for now. I hope everyone has a really beautiful holiday season. I know this time can be a little challenging sometimes. My advice is to opt out as much as possible, as much as you can, if not physically and tangibly, then at least mentally and emotionally, which is not to say disassociate and don't process your feelings, but sometimes you just kind of need to pretend you're like on quaaludes at a family gathering. I mean, you just got to do what you got to do. Um, but yeah, wait to do the processing and the confronting and all of that stuff afterward. Just put some headphones in, just try to be in your own space and be chill as much as possible in the moment. That's what I try to do at least. Um, if not just opt out altogether, that's really the trick. I'm going to play you out with a song called Wandering Nomad because obviously it's a really nice little tune and, uh, yeah. Catch you next time.